everybody. Fan Drive Time, Sportsnet 590, The Fan, Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy. It's Monday of a big week. Blake, did you get some rest over the weekend? Are you ready for this week? Yeah. I got rest on, a little rest on Sunday. Um, yeah, I might have had one or two more beers than anticipated on Saturday. That's okay. Get that's out of the way. That's how she goes. Yeah. Oh, that's what Saturdays are for. Yeah, I mean, you have a really bad Bellator card where you see the... The zombified corpse of Fedor in his last fight. Uh, you got a UFC. You got a good NBA slate. Sometimes and you, got, you have to do it. You got the NHL All-Star festivities, which you failed to mention, which you also watched in its entirety. I did not. Uh, yeah. I did not watch. That's okay. There'll be no quiz about saw what, you, what happened over the weekend. Sarah Nurse's goal. Yep. That's it. Okay. That's all I got. Well, uh that was one of the things that happened down in Florida. Uh, next year, you'll have to pay attention, though, because it'll be here in Toronto, the NHL All-Star. Will I have to pay attention? Well, I mean, I suppose you could go out of your way to ignore it. Well, I mean, I'm not part of our hockey coverage. I don't do – I haven't done anything down at the arena this year unless I'm just, like, at a Leaf game as a fan. I don't imagine I'd be used for that. And <laughs> the All-Star being here means the Raptors won't be, so, Yeah. Okay, well, then we'll see. Maybe you'll be able to ignore the NHL All-Star festivities in the city of Toronto in 2024. I don't need to ignore it. Um, I just don't need to seek it out because All-Star festivities are not for men in their mid-30s. Probably not. It's okay if you enjoy them if you're a man in your mid-30s. Yeah, you can, but this is about attracting new fans who maybe wouldn't have come to the sport otherwise and building lifelong fans, primarily children. Yeah, it's like I'm sure that back in the like actually I'm not I'm not I'm sure I can I can give you anecdotes of when I was a kid going nuts for the skills competition and it was the hockey highlight of the year for me other than yep. the World Juniors and I can remember like we were at a family friend's house and I'm off in a room watching the skills competition by myself and my dad and his friend are like off doing something else like they could not care my dad would have been about my age at this time and then the regular season resumed and you're like how come there are no targets in the corners of the net Buddy, what's going you on here? you didn't need to explain that to me <laughs> all you need to explain to me is why it's mean for me to make my little brothers stand next to the net cuz i had the like the targets that you could s- attach onto your street hockey oh, net yeah. But then, like, it was annoying to have to set them back up. So I would tell my little brothers oh. that they, hey, come out here and, like, reset the, the shooting targets for me. And they did that willingly? Well, I mean, not willingly, but they're under threat they're, of beating. Like, if I was, I don't know, <laughs> say I was, like, 12 at the time, they, huh. the youngest one would have been, like, seven. Mm. It's not hard to manipulate <laughs> a seven-year-old. I, I, I traded him, like, one dinky car for, like, an hour of labor or something uh, like that. All right. Um, yeah. So, shout out to the children and the people that enjoyed the NHL All-Star weekend. And again, yeah. Um, next year's festivities come to the city of Toronto. But today's top story, and it seems like it's going to be a top story Pretty well all week leading up to our three-hour NBA trade deadline extravaganza on Thursday is uh, things are happening. Things have already happened. Uh, things are currently happening. And there's some tweets that make it feel like things could be happening for the Toronto Raptors. So, yeah, as you well know by now, Kyrie Irving has been traded from the Nets to the Mavericks. And 
the Nets are receiving, well, he's been traded with Markeith Morris, it should be uh, mentioned. Uh, Dorian Finney-Smith, Spencer Dinwiddie, 2029 first-round pick, 2027 and 2029 second-round picks going back to the Nets, but that hasn't been officially officialized yet because there's plenty of time to go here, Blake, that, like I said, the trade deadline afternoon Thursday, which brings us to a number of different tweets. Let's start with Woj here. Adrian Wojnarowski of uh, ESPN, ESPN Sources, Nets Mavs trade still hasn't been made official with league office because Nets are evaluating opportunities to expand deal with the third teams. Teams are expected to make two-way deal official in next couple of hours unless Nets find something bigger to fold into it. Uh, a threaded tweet after that. Many conversations in the league are going through one team today. The Toronto Raptors, Mark Stein, uh, subsequently tweeted, among the, possi- uh, among the possibilities for expanding Kyrie Irving to Dallas trade before this evening's scheduled trade call, league sources say that Brooklyn has explored the feasibility of pack- packaging Spencer Dinwiddie and draft capital to Toronto in an attempt to acquire Fred Van Vliet. And then on top of that, this is the last one. The Nets have also been described to me as a team with Pascal Siakam interest, although the signals entering the final week of trade season have reflected a reluctance from Toronto to this point to make Siakam available. Where would you like to start, Blake? Uh, that is a lot of things. Yeah. So let's start with the last one first because uh, primacy effect, uh, that's the only one I remember. <laughs> that and the first one. Um, so the Siakam thing, from what I understand, up until the time the Kyrie deal happened, um, I had been hearing when those conversations came up, came up pretty regularly that the Raptors weren't engaged on Siakam or Scotty Barnes. Like anything else was something we could talk about, but Siakam and Barnes weren't on the table. Now, the Raptors, we've outlined ad nauseum the different scenarios in which it could make sense to do a more aggressive rebuild, and that would mean eventually looking at a Pascal Siakam deal. That is something that unless they get absolutely blown away flabbergasted their gas is completely flabbergasted (laughs) it would make more sense to wait for the offseason when there's certainty around what siakam's next extension looks like when way more teams have cap space when there's way more flexibility it's just way easier to do there's more certainty around draft picks all that stuff once the Kyrie irving trade happened the conversations i was having were less certain that that was still the case not that he was being shopped just that now Before everything was on the table, now everything's on the table. I think most of that was initiated by other teams. I don't think the Raptors were calling teams being like, hey, you uh, interested in Pascal now? I think it's just a matter of there are some teams not only looking to expand this trade and the Nets trying to figure out the Kyrie Irving fallback, but fallout rather, but also some other Western Conference teams now at least kicking the tires on more aggressive moves and just seeing what's there. So I would be, I would still be very shocked if a Pascal Siakam deal happens. But when you are in a position of leverage as a potential seller in what is an extreme seller's market, at least at the top, like there are a lot of rotation caliber guys out there. There are not guys of the Pascal Siakam, Fred Van Vliet, even OG Ananobi caliber on this trade market, um, it certainly doesn't seem. So that is, I think, where they're at with the individuals. Barnes off the table. Siakam, you would have to, like, knock their socks off. And then anything else, we can talk. I was going to, okay, do you want to continue? Because I was going to, the Siakam thing, the Siakam part of it is something that we haven't done a lot of discussing, right? right? So I, I would prefer to focus on some of the other points because I think the Siakam thing is 
pretty unlikely. Yeah, well, this is it. Okay, so just to... Ben Simmons that ain't coming through that door. Well, that's it, right? To make the salaries work, I mean, it's a one-for-one. One. They have the identical salary for this season, Ben Simmons and Pascal Siakam. But you know what I would say to that? Uh, they're not identical players? Yeah, uh, I would say a lot of things to that. And most of it I, I would probably get in trouble for saying on the air. Right. Okay, but, but what is... So the Nets have done pretty well by just about every measure in this Kyrie Irving trade a distressed asset who they were able to get an unprotected first round pick down the line from beyond Luka Doncic's contract uh, commitment to Although, the Mavericks you want to know what's wild though what like say Luka stays there he'll only be 30 years old yeah, like that's how good young. and young Luka is already he's not even 24 yet <laughs> this is, we're going to talk to Tim Cato uh, of the athletic who covers the Mavs later and like one of the things I was running through was like yeah just how risky could this? and I'm like oh wow Luka has four more years left on his deal after this one and is still a little baby yeah no it's, try and wrap your mind around the year 2029 it's very difficult to do so but yeah they they get a, a very good Defender and Dorian Finney-Smith, who can hit a three at a reasonable rate. And Spencer Dinwiddie, who's figured out how to hit three-point shots in his brief time in Dallas, now hitting it at 40%. But yeah, he's a player. Obviously, the Nets know very well. Yeah. There's an argument to be made that they're like maybe factually better now. I mean, they don't have the star power, though. And like crunch time, you got KD and you have no superstar running mate. What the Raptors do have in Pascal Siakam is a guy that's been number two scorer on a championship team. Yeah, the, there's not a, really a comparison there. If the if the Nets could turn around and turn Dinwiddie and Finney no Smith kidding. and the picks into Siakam, that would be done by now. Yeah, if that was on the and then, but just, our entire show would be two hours on <laughs> why did the, how did you let this happen? Uh, we're we're smelting your statue down, Masai. What's going on? Um, yeah, there. These are very different things. Like like Dinwiddie, Finney Smith, and the pick package they got is a good return for a uh, back-against-the-wall bad situation trade. Pending free agent. Yes. They could also very easily, and I think this is how Brooklyn would be viewing this, is that is not the return for Kyrie Irving in their mind. The return for Kyrie Irving is that and whatever they could turn that into. Yeah. So if they can turn around and use that unprotected 2029 Mavs first, attach it to, say, Joe Harris or something like that, who is a good player but has one more season pretty expensive on his contract after this year, if they could turn around and do that, they would frame that as, well, okay, we traded Kyrie and Joe Harris and the lesser Morris brother for Dorian Finney-Smith and whoever this player is. Mm-hmm. And I think that that... When you look at that, if we assume that the Nets front office is competent, it'll make another move by Thursday, then you could get to, well, maybe they're a better team for all of this with the asterisk that Kyrie Irving has never really been a problem in the playoffs. Like, once the games matter, this is the thing. Like, if you are, this team is maybe better over 82 games. They're not better in a playoff series flipping out Kyrie Irving for Spencer Dinwiddie and Dorian Finney-Smith. Like, nope. I, I don't, there's just, like, even if you, like, Durant locked in in the playoffs on defense, him and Dorian Finney-Smith and Royce O'Neal and Nick Claxton, that is about one of the best defensive lineups you could trot out there. But Kyrie Irving is, like, the guy you would want in a number two scorer role. Dude, he, he had a pretty big shot in the history of the, the league yeah. and the sport, and people in Cleveland uh, appreciated it when he did that. No, there's there's no comparison. You need superstar isolation scoring power at the end of postseason games, and they have maybe the best ever to do it in the seven-foot Kevin Durant. But, yeah, they, they gave up pretty significant part of what it takes to win in the postseason in Kyrie Irving. And certainly they would like to make it as 
likely as possible that Kevin Durant does not exit the postseason this year and think, what the hell, it just happened. Yeah. And look, it's hard for the Nets because they're playing, they're obviously playing defense against Kevin Durant wanting out again and that becoming untenable. But the only way to actually play defense against that is to do whatever you think is best to win a championship this year or make a deep run in the playoffs because ultimately like the Kevin Durant as GM stuff has not worked out super well. Um, you know, and yeah, Kyrie is the highlight item there. The Harden thing didn't work. There was also a trade Jared Allen away because Deandre Jordan's the starting center. Mm-hmm. How good would Jared Allen look on this team? No, uh, like there and like Karis Levert was, was gone as part of the restructuring to make those other deals work. Although, Karis LeVert is probably gone again now, and maybe there's a Karis LeVert issue here, but I digress on that. Um, they have no choice but to maximize around KD right now, which is why the Raptors become an interesting third team, and I don't think it's because of Siakam. I think it's because Fred Van Vliet would be a significant upgrade on Spencer Dinwiddie, and with the extra pick equity you now have, in addition to that extra Philly pick you're already carrying, maybe a Dinwiddie Van Bleet swap is something that the Raptors would be open to. Now, I think you have to pay them pretty good for it, but there's a reason that this trade is held up, and it's because that is a lot more interesting than just hanging on to Spencer Dinwiddie, who, again, is a good player and a yeah. really well-liked teammate outside of the crypto stuff. And, um, like, I, I have talked to Spencer Dinwiddie a few times over the years, and, and he's, like good culture guy all that stuff he's not as good as Kyrie Irving at basketball he's not as good as Fred Van Vliet at basketball okay but there that that's like a one for one as far as the salary cap like a trade scenario Fred Van Vliet for Spencer Dinwiddie you would be asking for more back as the Raptors pick equity well that's it no you'd be asking for pick and Dinwiddie is under contract for for next season just one more year on his deal I believe so I mean and I don't believe it's fully guaranteed if you're getting the again the the 2029 Dallas Mavericks unprotected first round pick and you get a serviceable player in Spencer Dinwiddie for a guy that you're probably I mean if you're making this trade you're um either pivoting entirely off this core which we'll see before Thursday or you're deciding that you're not going to pay what it takes to get Fred VanVleet as a free agent I, at the end of the season. I think it's that one. It's not pivoting off the core entirely because of the free agent thing. Spencer Dinwiddie is also exactly the kind of guy that you could then turn around in the offseason and say you win the lottery and you get Wemby and you're like, "Oh, we could compete now." Mm-hmm. Dinwiddie's exactly the kind of guy you could attach something to to bring back a you know, an OG and an OB or mm-hmm. a Fred Van Vliet, right? Like this is like good players who are paid like good players, but aren't stars and aren't paid like stars. Those are the most tradable guys. That's why Spencer Dinwiddie bounces around. That's why a lot of guys like that bounce around. Well, and then you you have this trade equity, whether it's the 2029 uh, first round pick, the, their picks are kind of in flux there because there's a few that are in yes. Houston with the Rockets, I understand. But yeah, there are... Brooklyn's, you mean? Yes. Yeah, so they they have a first round pick this year they just can't mm-hmm. trade it mm-hmm. um so that's, that's always an awkward thing they can't trade their own first round pick until 2028 um however they own a 2027 first from philadelphia and they own a 2029 first from dallas and depending on your thoughts on those front offices and how Joel Embiid might age and things like that uh you could get to them being interesting trade chips all right they also have uh, a young player in cam thomas who 
would be, I'm assuming Nick Claxton isn't available in these frameworks. Claxton would be absolutely the best asset you could get from Brooklyn. Um, I'm kind of working under the assumption he's not available because I think that would have come out by now. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, then you get into some like really easy frameworks that involve the Raptors because Claxton fits their, their down the line timeline and what they do defensively and stuff like that. But um, I, anyway, I think that, Cam Thomas is interesting. I think that those picks are interesting. I think that you are probably trying to hold Brooklyn over a barrel here because so for anyone who doesn't know, remember last week when I was like going into convoluted scenarios about like, Hey, a lot of the times at the finish line, these get expanded into three team deals and four team deals and stuff like that. Yeah. Now this is why. So the reason that this is trying to get expanded into a three-team deal is, yeah, they could make this trade and then Brooklyn could turn around and have negotiations with the Raptors. But Spencer Dinwiddie and Dorian Finney-Smith, once this trade is executed, can't have their salaries combined with anyone else. So they have to be one for one. I mean, you can... can well, you, one for whatever. And then draft picks, yeah. Exactly. So you could do, like, the math on Dinwiddie Van Vliet works but if you wanted to expand that into a larger deal that includes another player or the raptors are like hey you gotta you know i don't know eat chem's money for next year to make this worth our while Mm -hmm. then you get into scenarios where dinwiddie has to be a part of a package right now or you have to get just very creative after the fact well okay so like if i'm if i propose to you that in like before the end of the show before seven o'clock Woj tweets out raptors Nets are in agreement as part of the deal to send Spencer Dinwiddie to Toronto, Fred Van Vliet to Brooklyn. And by the way, if you're just tuning in, this is not happening. This is a <laughs> hypothetical. And it is that 2029 first round pick that is paying the freight of bringing Fred Van Vliet, playoff performer, to Brooklyn. And you get a player in Spencer Dinwiddie who, again, I guess fits in maybe to your timeline next season or he's another movable trade piece. Is that enough for a guy who's a franchise icon? All-time guy, um, maybe not quite statue-worthy, but, like, right there, maybe maybe statue-worthy. I mean, okay. what he did in there the... There hasn't in, been a single statue yet. Let's not... When, well, when they yeah. get to the business of building statues, a lot is going to be focused on the 2019 championship run. Sure. And who was more instrumental in the Raptors going on that run than Fred Van Vliet after having a child hitting all the three-point shots? Yeah, sure. He, on was, Planet a, Earth. he was an important part of it, but, like, he's not, <laughs> he's not in the first round of statues, okay. at least not at this point. Well, yeah, he's not the first guy on Legends Row, right? Yeah. yeah, but, like, there's a lot of... How many players are on Legends Legends Row now. There's quite a few. Like, yeah. I have no idea. Uh, There's a few. I've I've been down there. Um, Uh, Anyway, Dinwiddie's solid. Like, if you look at, if you only looked at the numbers, there's not a huge gap scoring and assist-wise between Van Vliet and Dinwiddie. Now, Dinwiddie doesn't have the upside, certainly doesn't have the scoring upside, um, shoots a three better, but doesn't create his own threes as much. And then, Fred, you always get into the, well, how many of his shots are grenades at the end of the shot clock and stuff like that? Um Fred VanVleet is better. It's not for the purposes of this year. Like who cares? It's mostly about, do you think you can re-sign Fred VanVleet at a reasonable term versus do you think you can turn around and turn Spencer Dinwiddie into something else in the off season too? In evaluating, and you have a great piece out right now on sportsnet.ca. I would say the the 2029 pick is not, it's enough in a vacuum where like, timelines don't matter and stuff like that well it is only worth it if you are taking a big step back because that 2029 pick could be awesome but at six years away so you are for the purposes of this front office and this core that 
pick is way more about its trade value in a that's future it. deal. Well, that's it. And you just mentioned that Spencer Dinwiddie now on an expiring contract for next season, maybe yeah, something only you partially guaranteed too. Okay, so maybe you can package that with this now pick that's way down the line for a team that's in total rebuild mode. That maybe that's that's something that yeah, you, you get can... Fred Van Vliet back. <laughs> okay, this is it. This is and by the way, for anyone who doesn't know, I actually just ran these calculations earlier today, and it's very rough. But an unprotected 2029 first round pick, um, when we factor in that front offices think about now, and, and there's so much uncertainty around 2029, that is roughly the value of getting a lottery protected 2023 pick. But the upside is way way higher. You know what's crazy about this, and we'll move on in just a second. There's, we're we're going to talk plenty about this, and and we will talk to Tim Cato, Mavericks reporter for the Athletic, coming up later on this hour. But there's there's other things to get to today. Is that there are other teams that are so desperate still to make additions, like you know the the team that employs the guy who's going to become the greatest scorer in the history of the sport, who's 38 years old and having uh, one of the best seasons of his career still at that age and is not currently in a playing spot in Los Angeles, who's said, maybe it's me in reference to the fact that though the Lakers were unable to consummate a trade for Kyrie Irving, they still need a point guard that they have tradable contracts that they have tradable and draft picks and that they apparently were willing to put both first round picks into a trade for Kyrie Irving. And my guy, Jake Fisher over at Yahoo sports has a note that, there are a lot of these teams that missed on Kyrie and could ostensibly miss on Fred Van Vliet who would be interested in Spencer Dinwiddie as a fallback option, Dude. as like a plan C. And that <laughs> includes our old friends, the Clippers, who, yeah, this front office probably isn't eager to help them. It's win a, a Josiah situation. Josiah would have consummated a trade with the Lakers, I suppose, in theory, depending on what report that you believe. But Mark Stein said, yeah, they were low to trade Kyrie to the Lakers mm-hmm. because he wanted to go there. <laughs> And he yeah. didn't want to send him. And now it's it's come out that he's super excited to go to Dallas. But Dallas is not just oh, picking up a piece of paper and no. saying, let's sign we're, that extension we're today. we talk to Kim Cato about that because I have some thoughts on that fit and the, the gamble there. Um, anyway, I know we, you want to pivot off of this uh, to some of the other top stories. And we got Tim on in a little bit. But, yeah, we're going to keep an eye on this throughout uh, the show and throughout the week. And yes, I do have a column up at sports.ca. It's the annual, all your trade ideas are bad column. It's very big, but it's meant to just be chipped away at. Um, and yeah, it was written before the Kyrie stuff. So a little bit of an edit on the weekend. Um, but hey, that's this time of year. Yeah, it is. All right. So that was today's top story coming up uh, later on after six o'clock. We'll talk to our pal, uh, Frank Saravelli. I want to get to something with Frank that we, we, I kept, putting in my own little rundown last week, and we never quite got to it, that Elliot Friedman in his most recent 32 Thoughts column um, mentioned the Toronto Maple Leafs explicitly and uh, saying, I still don't believe they're trading their first rounder or any of their top prospects for a rental either. Like, I keep thinking about this Toronto Maple Leafs team and the, the, par- the parallels, the comparisons to the 2015 Toronto Blue Jays team who also had a general manager who was on tenterhooks in Alex Anthopoulos, who thought he was out of a job. And if that team had not made the playoffs, I think Blue Jays fans maybe forget this, they would have been welcoming his departure from the franchise after the failed trade in the 2013 season. Kyle Dubas, if this team does not win a first-round series, I think we can all agree is headed out. It's probably not a tenable situation for... It's one thing for for somebody not to be fired after repeated playoff failures. It's quite another for 
an extension to be given to an executive. While it, I can make the argument for it, I, it, would, it would be almost unprecedented considering the narrative that surrounded him in this season. That being said, I think it's it's short-sighted and stupid not to look at the top of the 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 pile when it comes to traded or uh, assets that could be tradable, even if they're rentals and not giving up your Matthew Nyes or your first round picks. I think it's insane that the Maple Leafs might totally just cross off that part of the equation because they're, what are you, who are you getting without those things? Yeah. You're, you're, you're going down the line. No, like, like your, I guess, best case scenario then, or your, your best asset to move, if you're not willing to include prospects or that first, like, do you flip Rasmus Sandin for like a middle six forward and then try to turn Kerfoot into a defenseman or something? I, I don't know. Like, that feels very lateral to me. Yeah, maybe you're, you're packaging all your picks and prospects for a guy with some term in Jacob Chikrin and then asking the Arizona Coyotes to, to eat part of that cap hit and who's, who's the other one everyone really likes Gavrikov? No, oh, no no McCabe under the uh, Gavrikov. well I, I don't know I I can't get past the I don't I can't evaluate a bad a defense first defenseman on an absolutely horrible team you know what though we get them twice on the weekend so mm-hmm. uh, I'll get all the Gavrikov I can handle and I'll tell you coming out of Friday and Saturday is back-to-back if I want to see 30 more games of that guy or never want to see him again. But um, if, if you're not trading first or top prospects for yeah. rentals, you're out of the Patrick Kane market. You're out of yeah. the Jonathan Taves market. You're out of the Ryan O'Reilly market. You're out and, of the Vladimir and, Tarasenko market. And you're probably out of the Timo Meyer market yep. because of that huge qualifying offer on his RFA status. Yeah, which, okay. I mean, maybe there's a responsible bit of executiving. Uh, if you're Kyle Dubas and not giving up your first round pick for a guy who could walk and... I guess he was burned a little bit with the Nick Felino thing because Nick Felino had a wonky back and he gave up a first-round pick Look, and he didn't I, really I, impact his postseason. The but. honest answer is that if you are in the position the Leafs are in, you shouldn't be saying that anything is off the table, right? If some, like, if Edmonton calls you and says, hey, I don't know, there was a typo in McDavid's contract and he's a free agent at the end of this year. Will you give us a first for him? Mm-hmm. I think you'd probably make it work, right? Mm-hmm. It, and that's not realistic, but I do think that saying that... I get that it could be a leverage play, but it feels early for that. And it feels like you're likelier to just cut off conversations than expedite them. Because like right now, if you are already a seller, if you know at this point you're selling, what are you interested in? Picks and prospects. Mm-hmm. Like if you are that out of it already, you are not looking at the curfoots of the world, right? So what do the Leafs have to offer? I get it. There's more, there are more prospects than just Matthew Nyes. Mm-hmm. And there are more picks than just this year's first. But I would imagine the logic holds where it would be hard to move off of Topi or Roni as well then if they don't want to move off of Nyes for those reasons. And, you know, it's the NHL. We don't, they don't value deep future firsts or, or you know, seconds and thirds at, at quite the same level. And the Leafs don't have a bunch of those either. Yeah, we'll see. I or mean, maybe they, they do this year, and it's, it was prior years where they have no picks. But Yeah. No, they have their, their first going forward for sure. Oh, they have no second and no fourth this year and no seventh. All right. Well, that's a bummer. Can't get Mr. Irrelevant. Anyways, well, we'll talk to Frank Saravelli after 6 o'clock coming up. But uh, coming up next, we'll talk to Tim Cato, the Athletic Mavericks reporter, as uh, they are the proud owners of a slightly used Kyrie Irving. What is the fallout from the massive trade this weekend? We'll talk to Tim about it next. As the fan drive time continues, Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy, Sportsnet 590, The Fan.
everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fan Drive Dime, Sportsnet 590, The Fan, Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy, This League and such, you know? Uh, it's early Don't yet. be doing that. Why? We're, we're over this league? Yeah, it's, it turned into a, a joke about itself too, <laughs> yeah. too quickly, too swiftly. Okay, <laughs> can't, can't uh, talk about vibes, can't no, say this a, league. They're just, the, this league thing had, when it was in earnest, it had a lack of self-awareness. Uh-huh. Um, and then... Uh, yeah, I think part of it is it got blurred in with, like, the social activism stuff. And then, like, any time oh. the league's hypocrisy got pointed out, I was like, this league. Oh. And then, yeah, anytime something... That's not what I was referencing. I know, but anytime something stupid happens in the league now, it's also <laughs> this league. So uh. it's uh, it has lost... All meaning. Well, you, you know, it would have been stupid if the Mavs had turned around and, and sight unseen decided to offer Kyrie Irving an extension, which apparently they are not going to do. Nothing's been officially officialized yet anyways, as there's apparently a trade call scheduled for tonight. And maybe the Raptors are involved in this Kyrie Irving trade from the Nets to the Mavericks. Let's talk to Tim Cato, the athletic Mavericks reporter who joins us now. How's it going, Tim? Hey, I'm doing good. How are y'all? Doing doing very well. So, yeah, nothing's official yet. But what what do you make of the apparently robust market for, for Kyrie? <laughs> yeah, it looks a little bit different. Or, or it, it looks a little bit different over this weekend than uh, just this past summer, you know, where, you know, it was seen as he had uh, nobody, you know, trying to, to trade for him. Uh, it's funny what uh, a little bit more than half a season of uninspiring basketball uh, how, how it kind of makes front offices realize, oh, you know, like all those aspirations and best coast scenarios that we saw uh, that we envisioned for our team, you know, in the, uh, in the preseason, it might not be working out so much. And so uh, now Kyrie is a, is a maverick. And, you know, I think my big takeaway, the thing I've been writing and saying about why the Mavericks did it and why Kyrie is a Texan now is just the idea that they were going to have to make a gamble at some point. Um, you know, they weren't going to be in for, you know, the perfectly fitting, no issues star. Um, you know, it was going to be a, a player like Irving who had questions. And now has a lot, a lot of questions. And uh, you, you can you can certainly uh, question whether this set of questions was the right one to do. But I at least see the reasoning from the Mavericks perspective that they wanted to get this started. They wanted to get this process of what comes next started around Luca because it was inevitably coming. And uh, now they have more time to work, you know, more, more years left on his deal to work with and, and try to figure out some other solution. If these questions were to be answered in a way that made Kyrie Irving not make sense in Dallas, very similarly to the way that Kyrie Irving has not make, made sense at pretty much every franchise he's played for. Impossible to see a scenario, Tim, in which Kyrie Irving is in a long-term fit uh, in Dallas. I, I think the best thing you can say about this from a Dallas perspective, though, is, you know, hey, worst case scenario, if the worst case scenario is that Kyrie Irving isn't happy there and leaves in the offseason, that's not exactly the worst, worst case scenario I can think of. Um, in the short term, though, this is about, like you said, finding that number two alongside Luca that they've, you know, tried a couple different things to to trade for that or manufacture that and it hasn't quite worked out. 
I don't think there are many doubts on the court about what this can do for the Dallas Mavericks, at least offensively. Uh, before this trade, they ranked just inside the top 10 in offensive rating. They have, now have a guy who is just about custom made to be an elite number two scorer playing off a superstar. And he's done that in several stops. Now, um, how much of this is the Mavs just believing once these guys get on the court, the fit is so natural offensively that everything else can kind of just be figured out on the fly. Yeah, I think, I think that's the expectation. Like you said, the offense had just been, uh, you know, just, just on the edges of, of top 10. Um, but the offense, when Luca's on the court, and this is both, you know, uh, you know, just all the minutes that it's that it's Luca's on the court. They, if you just kind of do it, they would be the best offense in the league, and uh, they'd be the worst offense. Or they, you know, they in the minutes that he's not in the possessions that he's not on the court, they have the league's worst offense. You know, worse than the Houston Rockets. And so instantly, you see how Kyrie Irving, you know, not only fits uh, exceptionally well, uh, should fit exceptionally well next to Luca. Uh, as a as a pairing, but he's going to help the team a lot with the with the bench lineups in you know games where Luca sits out. Um, you know it's possible Luca you know he's injured right now. It's a it's a minor injury, but uh, Kyrie's supposed to make his debut on on Wednesday. It's possible you know the hope is that that Luca's going to be good for that game, but it's possible he misses that game too. And instantly you know a team that uh, have not won without Luca being available this season uh, suddenly feels much better about their chances to compete and win. Uh, you know, without this talismanic superstar of theirs. And so I, I think that's, that's the belief, uh, you know, reducing some of the load, reducing some of the need for Luca to uh, sit out games to rest. Uh, you know, that's something the move uh, should help. And defense is still uh, a huge question. <laughs> Exploring trades to kind of bolster that. Uh, but, you know, one thing is that, that Luca has become a pretty average defender when he's trying. And you can imagine where, you know, the reasons he might not try is just the sheer amount of, of offensive load that he's managing. And so, you know, there's maybe a little bit of a, a, a hidden wrinkle in this in that, you know, you should ideally have a little bit more, you know, defensive engagement just all around because the team now has more help, um, you know, next to Luca. Um, so, so yeah, there's, there's a lot of basketball reasons why this makes sense. Yeah, Tim, the thing with trying on defense, and you wouldn't know this because you have uh... – you, you know, you're a shooter. You have the offensive package it is yeah. Defense is only fun. If you can't do other stuff, that's why people like me play hard defense and Luca can play uh, sometimes defense. So a, a question here beyond the defensive fit will be, you know, like you said with Luca and the effort is, is how much does Kyrie, you know, buy in on that end. And Kyrie obviously has the physical tools to be a better defender than he is day to day. One of the party lines, the Mavs have kind of put out there in terms of their comfort level in making this risk is well, head coach Jason Kidd and general manager Nico Harrison both have relationships with Kyrie Irving. Um, can this deal, and we know Mark Cuban's like a, a, a risk taker by nature, but can this deal get done without Harrison and Kidd's involvement with this franchise? Um, I, I, I suspect not, or I suspect like, you know, this isn't a risk that the Mavericks would be willing to take without understanding those relationships are in place. Um, I, I think I think that that you know was a, a driving force. This was a front office driven move. Um, Luca, you know, had expressed uh, some desire for roster improvement, but he wasn't out here saying go get Kyrie, even if he's you know excited to to play with the most talented teammate that he's you know ever had. Um, and, and so this this absolutely was front office driven. And 
you know, to the degree that matters, I don't know. I mean, if, if Kyrie goes and posts something that, that he then has to apologize for, yes, it's been reported that, that, you know, his falling out with the Brooklyn franchise was in part of the way they handled that. But, like, what, how are the Mavericks going to handle that differently? They're going to, ask, you know, tell him to apologize in a nicer way? I, I don't know. You know, like, the, the, the issues, the questions, the idea that Kyrie is a, is a stubborn person uh, who – you know, is not going to, you know, in his view, and I'm saying this extremely kindly, uh, you know, not what, uh, what he views as being important and what he wants to express, you know, get in the way of, of, you know, just maximizing his time on the court. He's willing to, you know, make stands for what he believes in, even if, you know, I, I think it's fair to say he should not believe uh, some of the things he, he believes. I, I don't know how much those relationships are going to, you know, just turn off that side or that risk of, you know, uh, in, in basketball terms, acquiring this player. Um, but that said, absolutely, this is a major part of the deal, a major reason why the Mavericks, when it got him, uh, is some trust that these two people can work with Kyrie and make it, uh, in theory, more of a stable partnership in a way that, again, it, it has not been at, at Kyrie's previous franchises. I think what you're getting at here is sending Kyrie Irving to the location of one of the biggest conspiracy theories in American history is, uh, you know, ripe for content at least. Um, But the Mavericks have said, hey, we think we have the organizational culture here uh, to absorb this and manage it better. Um, Like, I I ask this half in jest, but like mostly seriously, given what the Mavericks culture has been like the last couple of years. Is that not kind of damning of themselves that they think there's a a culture fit here and like like the the line seems to not be we can bring Kyrie in and make it all work and it'll be sunshine and roses it'll be hey we're really good at just ignoring bad culture stuff over the years (laughs) that is a really amusing and not totally inaccurate way of, of putting it I think when the Mavericks talk about their culture, uh, their, their belief is that they have really revamped uh, the team's identity uh, around Nico Harrison and around Jason Kidd. Uh, when it comes to Nico particularly, he was hired obviously as a, as a well, maybe not obvi- obviously for this market. He was hired uh, from being a Nike executive. And so he is a, he was not in, he was working directly with the NBA or NBA players who were employed by Nikes, but he was not working in the NBA. But also due to him working at Nike, you know, he has a very uh, keen understanding uh, of basically top-down structure. And that is something that that I do think uh, has been implemented very well uh, with him uh, on the top. And it's, it's a thing that has changed about the team over the past few years. That said, Mark Cuban is still, still here. And, you know, Mark Cuban, uh, a Mark Cuban franchise is uh, going to be at its core something to some extent dictated by the way that he operates and the way that, you know, his, he, you know, his interests, his whims, his desires, all of that stuff. And so, um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of half answering the question because it's, it's, it's kind of an, an impossible thing to, to answer completely. Um, but, but yeah, I think that's what the Mavericks believe, uh, is that they do have a, a kind of a different, uh, more professional organization in place and whether that's the true or whether that even matters, uh, you know, if Kyrie were to do something, uh, off the court that affects his ability to be on the court, um, I, I don't know. And I would suspect probably not, but, uh, it's at least the belief the Mavericks have and it contributed to, uh, them trading for him.
All right, so the Mavs find themselves right in the murky middle of the Western Conference because that's where everybody is. Uh, but they are coming off a, a conference finals appearance a season ago. We just talked about how young Luca is. He's not even yet 24 years old. Uh, this is the first year of his Supermax extension, which extends five years. When you talk about, hey, this franchise had to take a risk at some point. Was there any indication that already, like, you know, some some whispers out of the Luca camp that perhaps he's... He's looking. He was looking for this type of change. Like, how integral was was his side of of, of the equation? Yeah, I, like I said, I don't think that this was you know this was front office driven. I, I don't think that you know he had much involvement other than you know being kept in the loop of the process in, in terms of, of this happening. I also don't think that like he, he has very clearly been frustrated this season. Um, but I, I would I would uh, describe those frustrations as you know, just a, a want to win and a, and a stubbornness and, you know, just the, the idea that the Mavericks have been so, um, you know, they, they have players still starting for them or had players still starting for them that started, you know, in 2018 when he arrived. Um, and, and, you know, clearly not, not players that, that they're trying to build around, just, just players that they haven't been able to upgrade from uh, despite attempts to. Um, so yeah, to some level, uh, there, there was a need to, um, you know, show, you know, just remind him, you know, that the, the, the team is still actively trying to improve the roster around him. That said, in some ways, I kind of have a theory, and it's just a theory that I don't know if Luca is the type of person who would even ever request a trade. That's that's different than saying he wouldn't leave if he were to hit free agency, and certainly the Mavericks might be a franchise that, that would, you know, feel it necessary to trade him if, if, you know, those rumblings were growing that he was likely to leave. But I could also see this Mavericks franchise, um, you know, just letting him leave, like holding him until the end of the contract, believing that they can resign him or convince him to resign um, and, and not trading him away, even if that's the smarter move. You know, this is years away, so, so we're going to have to see. But all this is to say that I think the Mavericks have some time, that there isn't going to be a Luka trade request, even if this Kyrie thing blows up, as long as they're able to rebuild in a, in a way that shows the team is still somewhat on track to build a title team around Luka. So in building that title team, obviously they've, they've cashed in some assets here to get Kyrie Irving. Spencer Dinwiddie, Dorian Finney-Smith are out, a, a deep future first and a couple of seconds. Um, this deal hasn't been officially locked in yet in part because it's potentially expanding to include more teams those teams could include the toronto raptors who have players that um so far the reporting is the nets are interested in but you mentioned that this mavericks team probably isn't done yet either they have a few of those mid-tier salaries that aren't the biggest discounts but are pretty easy to move in guys like hardaway and wood and powell and bullock and Kleber. um what is next for the Mavericks from here? And can you see a scenario where this Mavs-Nets trade expands to involve the Raptors in a logical way? Yeah, I don't think um, it would expand on Dallas' side. Okay. I do think Dallas is likely to make another move, um, you know, and, and they're still looking for, you know, another wing defender now that they traded one out. They'd love uh, a little bit more center depth. But I think the Mavericks are set on their part of the trade. Um, that said, yeah, it, it, it's super interesting to me that, that it hasn't been completed. Obviously, the, the reporting is, um, you know, exactly as, as you said, that, that Brooklyn's really looking to expand it. And what, what I will say from a, from a Raptors perspective, 
it's interesting how much this uh, Ananobi and Van Vliet duo, which have obviously been rumored a lot, uh, you know, to be packaged or paired potentially in a, in a deal. It's really interesting to me how similar uh, they are to the Dinwiddie-Finney Smith duo. And I don't know exactly what that means. Maybe we can talk this out a little bit. But, you know, they're, they're both, you know, kind of secondary play, you know, it's a secondary playmaking guard and a, uh, thir- you know, 3 and D um, wing and an OBA, you know, obviously a, a two-step version of, of Finney Smith without as much shooting. Um, but I do wonder if, if you're looking at Brooklyn, uh, maybe, maybe they're interested, you know, more in Van Bleet than Din, uh, Dinwiddie or vice versa, certainly for Ananobi and, and Finney Smith. Um, it has me thinking. It has me thinking right now. <laughs> uh, all right, Tim, I, I'm going to ask you this one. We only have a minute with you left, but I prepped you ahead of time that I'd ask this one. So I want to hear it. Um, what is your favorite fake Raptors trade ahead of the deadline here? You know, it's funny. I, I, so when, when you prepped me for this, I was kind of thinking about uh, mentioning those parallels because I, because I find it interesting. Um, I, I think my favorite fake Raptors trade is, is, uh, that they don't trade Pascal Siakam because I, I just don't that's that does not seem smart to me, man. Um, no, it doesn't seem you know, like that is Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I'm gonna take this in a in a very theoretical way and just say that don't don't do that. Any any fake trade where he does is not traded is, is probably a good one because that's the team that everybody wants and there's a reason everybody wants him. Um, and it's why the Mavericks had to take a riskier bet on someone like Kyrie because they would so easily, so quickly be outbid. They don't have the assets that other teams that are lying in wait for a player like Siakam to become available. Uh, they don't have the the, uh, the ability to compete with that. And so, yeah, that's that's my favorite fake trade. Don't don't trade them. It's a it's a fake non-trade. I love it. <laughs> uh, Tim, <laughs> appreciate the time. Thanks for this. Absolutely. Thank y'all. Uh, Tim Cato, Athletic uh, Mavericks reporter. So a little bit of news there while we were talking to Tim. It's not particularly relevant to trade specifics, um, but the NBA and the Players Association have agreed to extend the opt-out deadline for the CBA until March 31st. This is relevant just because the NBA, like these teams are operating at the deadline here with a bit of uncertainty around what the next CBA looks like. Uh, Only a year and a half left on this one if one of the sides were to opt out. So um, this was a sticking point in negotiations. The the teams certainly wanted to have this nailed down by the deadline so that you know what environment you're operating within, uh, but they've extended that deadline out to closer to the playoffs. So you won't get that kind of certainty. No. Um, so, yeah, the deadline was supposed to be Wednesday, and if they opt out, it would have meant that the CBA expired at the conclusion of next season, yes. which meant that if there was no agreement, then they would be locked up. But yeah, And, yada, and yada, then yada. there's tons of – but then there's, like, there's all this interesting stuff of, like, do you take more risks because – this is the last championship before lockout. Do yeah. you take more risks because, hey, two CBAs ago, teams got an amnesty provision, the old Allen Houston mm. uh, rule where you could just cut someone off the books. Linus Klesia, see ya, mm-hmm. um, as the Raptors did that time. So uh, I don't know. It would be interesting to see. But no, we're, we're flying blindish a little bit. Yeah. Um, I, we only have like a minute before we got to take a break here. But yeah, the Kyrie part of this and what he does in Dallas, as far as like, yeah, on the court, we know he's going to produce because he produced. With the Nets, even without KD. Yeah, he's, now the, insane, he's an insanely good basketball player. Dude, and he's highly motivated, right? Because he's a pending free agent and they're not handing him anything. And uh, if he doesn't... Also, don't underestimate the part of this that... Like, a lot of the times when Kyrie has landed in a new spot, it's been effective to start. And mm-hmm. I think 
something to not underestimate here is, yeah, there are a lot of Kyrie concerns, but the stick it to Brooklyn of this, especially if those reports are accurate that the Nets didn't engage with the Lakers in earnest oh, yeah. because they didn't want Kyrie to go where he really wanted to. <laughs> like there is an element of this blows up later, but for right now, <laughs> well, it's a stick it to Brooklyn scenario. And there's so many different scenarios. Like there's the one where it's like he looks pretty good and hey, the Mavs win a couple of rounds, maybe get to another Western Conference final and they're like, Holy cow, this is it. This is the future. And then and they then, do it and they give him fifty million a year over four years and the two hundred million bucks that he wants. And then it obviously goes the way we all anticipated going. Or, you know, maybe it doesn't go quite right, or maybe they're like erring on the side of, you know, not handing him all the money because of the potential risk of it and and you know, the Lakers can free up about twenty million dollars in cap space and would would he accept you know, the lesser version of, of what he could get to uh, go play with the guy that he asked not to play with anymore. By it's the so way, weird. Nets are in uh, uh, pregame media availability right now, and Alex Schiffer of The Athletic just asked Jacques Vaughn what the latest was on Kyrie's calf soreness. <laughs> uh, oh, and Sean's saying deal's done, two-team deal. Okay, all right, Raptors not involved. We'll, we'll keep you updated as to any of the happenings in that regard. But when we come back, Frank Cervelli, Director of Hockey Content for DailyFaceoff.com. Fan Drive Time continues. Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy, Sportsnet 590, The Fan.